This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. First Bite sure does love some freebies, and I grew up loving some coupons. That's my kinfolk's way of saying coupons. I can't even say it correctly. (laughs) And so to start the new year off right, we wanted to do a little give back. So if you head on over to speechtherapypd.com and enter the code FIRSTBITE, not to be confused with the autocorrect of Frostbite, well, then you will find a fabulous $10 off coupon for an annual subscription. That will give you access to all of the one to three hour webinar courses, as well as all the First Byte pod courses for CEUs for an annual membership of only $79. But hey, do you want more? Don't you love that cheesy sales line? I love that cheesy sales line. Okay. Well, if you do, you can use that same coupon First Byte and access all of the courses on speechtherapypd.com's website for a fabulous deal of $179 a year. Whoop, whoop. So don't forget, plug in the coupon First Byte when you check out at the speechtherapypd.com website. Happy listening, y'all. Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Byte. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Byte. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. As the leading human rights organization for all individuals with Down syndrome, the National Down Syndrome Society is committed to improving the quality of life of people with Down syndrome by ending law syndrome. Hashtag law syndrome. Law syndrome is a series of outdated laws that affects 100% of people with Down syndrome and other disabilities. It prevents them from pursuing a career and fulfilling their potential because of antiquated laws like subminimum wage, restrictive Medicaid SSI limitations, and the SSI marriage penalty. Law syndrome greatly impedes professional development and makes living independently nearly impossible. Help the National Down Syndrome Society end hashtag law syndrome by visiting lawsyndrome.org or donating today. Check them out on hashtag NDSS or hashtag law syndrome. Again, check out lawsyndrome.org, L-A-W-S-Y-N-D-R-O-M-E.org. And y'all, thanks. folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, Functional Resources for the Pediatric Clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. 
I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Colatown, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. All right, folks, today's episode is filled to the brim with a bit of functional venting and fabulous fun tips on how to fix the issues that both Aaron and I feel incredibly frustrated about. Both of us feeling concerned for a litany of reasons, so I'm just going to own it. The problem with productivity and unprofessional pressure from higher ups is one of the major contributing reasons to the fact that I own my own private practice. So there, let it all sink in. One of the tipping point factors in me stepping out in faith and opening my own was the gut-wrenching illness that I feel every time I knew that it was appropriate to conclude a session, even if I hadn't met the 60-minute quota. Um, You can't see the air quotes here, but like I am totally eye-rolling to the level that my younger sister, both of them would be incredibly proud about. So, um, but it really was, it was that gut wrenching discomfort. Every time I had to mark cancel on my schedule, knowing good and well, that there was no possible physical way to make that kid up later that week because of, uh, their hospital stay or the recovery time that they needed, or, um, they had a follow-up because of their hospital stay. And, I knew that that child would not be appropriate for speech therapy until they were healed, until they were healthy. But I also know good and well that that was not going to be an acceptable explanation in the world of the outpatient clinic or the home health private practice that I was at the moment in time working for. So yeah, I had hit my done level, like so very many of y'all out there. So Enters my sweet friend, Erin, <laughs> and may I add that she's very much an independent, strong-willed, advocating spirit of an SLP who, can I finally say it? She's super stone-cold face, y'all. <laughs> but my sweet Erin has submitted the documentation for her seat. Um, she submitted it apparently along with 2,500 other individuals of y'all out there. So like, yep. Um, and sweet Miss Erin has also run into the exact same curve levels, but with an added layer of, um, difficulty as that is her, um, it's your CF here, doll. So Erin, take it away. How are you feeling? (laughs) 
Um, we're good. We're just waiting on all the other people that applied for LRCs. So yeah, paperwork's in. Just waiting on the final on sign the off. Mm-hmm. And and Asha said, how long will it be? How long does it take? What is the timeline that they give you now? Um, four to six weeks. Six My, to weeks. that's nothing. And it's electronic, so at least you can, like, see where it is. But to all the other gray-haired women in the room, y'all remember the days before when it was not electronic and we just had to, like, literally mail everything in and just hope and pray that, like, it actually got there there and that they had all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Cool. Word. That was fine. Yeah. Yeah, You got it much easier. easier. Yeah. I'll take it. I'm going to play the old lady card. I only feel a little bit of sympathy there. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, you're wrapping up your CF and that had layers of productivity stress more so than most of us out there because you're under a timeline to complete your hours within a month, so many month window. What is it? Like 1500 hours in nine months? Is that what it is? Mm, I think I forget. It's like. 1200 something 1200 okay but you have to be under a certain number of hours like i started out doing less mine ended up being like 39 weeks instead of 36 weeks because my first month was like building a case part time yeah building a case load yep yep Mm -hmm. and that's part of it that's part of the home health world Mm -hmm. um okay so everybody out there asha honest to goodness really does have a fantastic CF page. So if you haven't checked it out yet, if you're a grad student listening, really truthfully, it is way better than it was 15 years ago. So go check the the page out. It tells you everything that counts for mm-hmm. your productivity. You're Which I was surprised by like how much does count. Yes. I guess I think like all the phone calls I make, that's considered like direct con- like direct patient care because it is because you're fighting for your patient mm-hmm. to get the referrals. Yeah. And and it lays that out as well as admin time and meeting time. Things, certain things don't count like driving, Travel, yeah. um, but that's unique to our world mm-hmm. versus other people's worlds. So, um, and it was, as a general rule of thumb, the CF year was built around a school year, like right. an academic school year. Right. So that's why it's typically an average of nine months. Mm-hmm. So, um but really do go check it out because it is, it will demystify and take stress away. Um, do it on breaks in between semesters and not during semester when you're drowning in your homework. Yeah. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, let's, let's get started. Um, what my dear friend is the definition of productivity and how does that compare to workload versus caseload definitions? Done, done, done. Um, I'm going to start with my favorite edition of productivity. I'm going to pull it up. If you define productivity, if you open up your cell phone and type in productivity, it is a noun and it's the state or quality of producing something, especially crops. That has nothing to do with speech pathology, but it really did make my little country heart happy that that's the first definition of productivity. And as this is that stressful of an episode, I thought we would open with nerdy girl, educated, um, white oak, Virginia humor. So there it is. Okay. So what is the real definition of productivity, Ms. Erin? Um, so... It's on Asha. Asha defines. Yeah, Asha has 
as per usual, we first looked at Asha for all a lot things. of our resources. Um, and they, which we'll talk about, um, did a survey, uh, mainly in like hospitals and skilled nursing facilities, but they define productivity in that survey as the number of hours in direct patient care divided by the number of hours worked. Um, so basically they talked about how in that survey, the mean productivity was about 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the um, 2017 healthcare summary survey. Mm-hmm. So if you worked um, like eight hours, 80% of that eight hour shift was in direct patient care. Mm-hmm. That's math. I'm not doing math right. at this stage of the evening. But, but um, direct patient care is also the definition of direct patient care varies mm-hmm. based on setting. Yeah. Um, and then talking caseload versus Workload, caseload is defined usually as the number of students, number of patients, um, number of clients that you have total. total. And then workload is going to include all the other things that you do, meetings. Um, they looked at, ASHA has a really great page on caseload and workload. Um, they define like caseload specifically for school SLPs. They talk a lot about school SLPs in this one. Um, Given, and and I know a lot of y'all do carry the workload of working in the school settings during the day and PRNing in early intervention at mm -hmm. night. So I know that this is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. Um, And I know I worked literally long enough to have a panic attack in the public schools before I like ran, ran Mm -hmm. far away. Um, But a caseload could be that you have 67, and I've heard some horror stories as many as into the 90s mm-hmm. of um, quote unquote students or patients on your caseload. That doesn't even, well, because they, and they talk about advocating for a workload approach instead of, yes. because it's usually based on a caseload, but for like a school SLP, they have this really good um, chart talking about how their workload can include caseload is one part of it, Mm -hmm. um, state certification, uh, state and local regulations, such as eligibility and dismissal criteria, student factors, um, unfounded, unfunded mandates, such as having no waiting list. So having to have more kids as far as your caseload, um, school policies and expectations like data collection, Professional RTI. issues, RTI. Um, and, and let's not even, I mean, then you have the, I, I had to work as um, a lunchroom monitor mm-hmm. a couple of days a week or a carpool drop-off and pickup, which was mm-hmm. not countered or oh, yeah, factored no. in. Yep. Budgeting. Um, so their, their push is to advocate <clears throat> for, and a lot of times you need data and And if you look in this same document, they talk about conducting like a workload analysis. So you give more information as far as like what you are doing, documenting all the hours that you're doing certain things Mm -hmm. that don't just include when you see the patient Mm -hmm. or when you see the student. What's the, what's the website address on that one, Darla? Um, uh, It's very long, but it's there, it's under key issues. So if you go into Asha's website and go under key issues, the title is 
Or if you literally go on Google and search ASHA caseload and workload, it'll take you right there. Pop right up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they give you approaches to managing existing workload, different models that you can use. But essentially, like, everything it tends to be based off of caseload, but there are so many more things involved mm-hmm. as far as workload. Okay. So... A couple of thoughts, and I know that one of the goals of the end of this episode are some resources and solutions to combat the age-old productivity issues. We can't just leave that off at the end because I'm an impatient, tiny, angry person, so I like to intersperse hope and enthusiasm throughout Mm -hmm. to combat my tiny, angry, let's-fix-the-world nature, Um, in case y'all haven't picked up on that. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. Also, they have a... The document I found about guide guidance for caseload based on states because it varies based on states. Yes. So many states just have no requirements. Yes. As okay. far as min and max caseload. Okay. But so many states are right to work states, which is the app, which is, I'm not going to go political because I'm going to behave myself, but there is a huge movement across the states where people are wearing red shirts, hint, 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 um, and they're walking out in advocacy of their local educational association or agency, mm-hmm. LEAs. Okay. I'm, I'm an adult. I know what the A stands for, but they're advocating on behalf of the LEAs. Okay. The school SLP has been put in a very unusual predicament in the sense that they're Historically, the only special education personnel that also, um, because PTs and OTs, you can't be, um, you can't qualify just in the realm of physical therapy and occupational therapy. You have to um, qualify. That's like a secondary service, right? Mm -hmm. SLPs are the one rehab that you can count as primary service, right? That gives the opportunity when it arises to advocate for the workload versus the caseload model. Mm -hmm. So folks take that as your opportunity. I know that South Carolina is very much a right to work state, but this was the first time um, about two months ago. I think it was two months ago that we had to teach a walkout. And I know I sent my boys to school in red shirts underneath of their uniforms because you know, uniforms first. So they had their little red shirts. They were, um, for those of you that are curious, and I know there's at least somebody out there that is, it was their Han Solo and Chewbacca Valentine's Day shirts because rock on Star Wars. May the force be with you. And um, that was our opportunity that in the coming months, our state association is actually leaning in to have the crucial conversation on workload versus caseload. And that's taken how many decades to get there? So... Again, if you're not involved with your state association, please take that as your opportunity to be involved with. Okay, tiny, huge Star Wars soapbox done. All right, so in the world of early intervention, how does productivity vary between in-home clinic and early childhood special education settings? So that's that's a big one. Um, in... Um, and I'll take, I'll fall on it for the in-home setting. Um, for the in-home setting, we spend a significant amount of our productivity time traveling. So our productivity rates are going to vary because we are on the road a lot. 
also that is also kind of predicated on the um, typical timeline and duration of your therapy sessions. In the state of South Carolina, most home health sessions are 60 minutes in duration. That's typically what we go for. It's once a week for 60 minutes. In Virginia, where I'm from, a lot of folks do once a week for 30 minutes or twice a week for 30 minutes because 9257, which is language, is an untimed code. And in South Carolina, it's a timed code. That's a huge variance. So just kind of bear that in mind that each state does a has their own interpretations on the duration of a home health session. I know I've had a lot of folks in flux from Florida and their speech therapy sessions, unfortunately, are tied into um, a series of MCOs that have come in and kind of taken an interesting um, demand on therapeutic reimbursement So speech therapy sessions in certain parts of the state, if the private practice has agreed to be in network with those MCOs, is predicated on their reimbursement rates. So those kiddos might be seen um, once biweekly or once a month for an hour versus on a weekly basis. So Erin, go with the numbers, darling. Yeah. Um, So in that same ASHA survey, they... The 2017 SLP Healthcare Survey. Yes. Um, They asked, and they divide this into facility type when they ask questions. Um, So as far as having a productivity requirement, and we can, I mean, I don't have experience in a skilled nursing facility, but that's a lot of times where there's an extremely high demand on productivity. Mm -hmm. So for them about when they asked if you have a productivity requirement, about 95% of SNFs have a productivity requirement. Um, Pediatric hospital was the second highest at 85%. Um, Long-term acute care hospitals at about 76%. Rehab hospital at 75%. And home health was the lowest at 36%. Um, but a lot of times home health is a setting where there's a lot of part-time therapists. So that makes productivity a little more difficult. Um, as far as productivity requirement, um, the median for most was about 80 to 85%. Um, even for home health, SNF was highest at 85%. Um, So that means out of 100% of your hours worked in that week, uh 80% of those hours had to be in direct patient care for reimbursement. Right. Granted, that can depend on how you bill. Like, for example, when I um, had my placement at the Children's Hospital inpatient, we, since it was an untimed code, if we saw the patient for 15 minutes, I mean, we'd see them for however long it needed to be seen, but say it was a really, you know, a quick treatment session, kind of just checking on the kid before they got discharged, watch them feed for a little while. They were really good. It may have only been 20 minutes, but that could be billed as a full hour of productivity because it was an untimed code that counted for an hour. Yep. That was, I don't know if that was specific to 
our setting, granted, because every every um, facility sets up their own requirements, mm-hmm. but for like us in home health, I have to see the kid for a full hour to get a full hour of productivity. If I and only see them for 45 minutes, that's only three units instead of four units, mm-hmm. according to South Carolina standards, because we are a timed code. Right. And if you're in a different state that utilizes 92507 as an untimed code, then you drop one code, one unit, and then you input however many minutes that you're there. Right. Yeah. I also, like in the hospital, <clears throat> we could they let us count that for a full hour. And there was even a point where for doing um, video swallow studies, they gave us an hour and a half. That's typically To include practice. for documentation time. But I have a friend who in North Carolina, they usually typically see 30-minute sessions, but they bumped up however many sessions they require them to see a week because it's 30 minutes, even though billing-wise, that can count as a full hour, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, yep. And then, It's all, yeah. Okay. And then there's another layer. In our state... Your the time that we spend on the phone with making phone calls mm-hmm. to physicians, to the early interventionist, to another clinician. Um, I know there's a couple of kiddos that I see where I am one of two treating speech pathologists. So the time that I spend on the phone with them, I don't get to utilize as a uh, as as a timed reimbursable code. No. However, in different states. Um, shout out to some lovely, amazing SLPs that I know, um, uh, especially, <laughs> especially an amazing mama of a future SLP who will be making her way to Gamecock country here shortly. Little does she know, ha, ha, ha. Um, uh, they actually get to act as service coordinators. So they do not have the role of the quote unquote early interventionist, the, uh, lead SLP or the lead therapist, whether it be OTPT or speech, acts as a service coordinator. So that continuity of care time is eligible for their productivity. However, instead of it being a 92507 CPT code, they use an in-house um, or I should say in-state um, uh, code that's been approved by their uh, HHS, their Department of Health and Human Services, and it's within their own unique state CMS manual. I hope that that made more sense than it sounds like I made sense because I can visualize that all in my head. Did that? Did that flow? Did you? Did you jab yeah. with what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So for those individuals, all of that time is considered billable, which. It's fantastic. However, in our state where we have the early interventionist, that is not a billable time. Mm-hmm. However, it is something that we still have to do because our code of ethics calls us to utilize an interprofessional practice and, and focus on um, continuity of care as best practice for treatment of the tiny humans mm-hmm. that we torture Monday through Friday. Ha ha ha. <laughs> well, and they, in that survey asked about if you're an hourly employee, which a lot of home health therapists are, mm-hmm. how often did you perform off the clock um, work? So that was unpaid, which would include some documentation, phone yep. calls, all that. And about 50% of home health therapists 
reported yes. So yeah. That they're doing all that. Um, I saw two patients today. Granted, I did get my hair did and have a meeting to build a PowerPoint presentation to give a lecture on Thursday. But mm-hmm. I saw two patients for an hour each. And I know immediately after seeing one patient, I spent 20 minutes on the phone working an issue. And then for the second patient, I spent, excuse me, at least 15 minutes on the internet trying to locate a support group that did ASL incorporation. Also, if you're a bilingual interpreter um, and know sign language, please come to the state of South Carolina. But like any of that research, any of those continuity of care phone calls, even speaking with the early interventions, none of that was done. None of that was billable. Mm-hmm. However, I'm still going to do it. Right. Right. Yep. Um, yeah. They also talk about kind of what counts towards productivity. Um, Can you rattle off some of those examples? Because I know there's some people out there that have misconceptions as so to what they, they asked. Um, and these didn't seem to vary too much by setting, but I will note that skilled nursing facilities tend to be the lowest as far as what was included in their productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, clinical team meetings, the average was about 15% said it included it was included in their productivity in services or training sessions, about 15%. Documentation, only about 13% said it was included in productivity and care coordination activities, only about 10% said it was included in productivity. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and the other one is uh, nothing counts when patient is not present. About 68% said patient has to be present for productivity to be counted. But if you want to give all to your patient, you're probably not doing documentation when you're with your patient or you are because you have no other option. And when you work in these, when you have to communicate with other professionals, that can't be necessarily done when the patient's present unless you're rounding and they're in the room. Um, Okay. So to the folks that are there that are listening and you work in really rural areas, I don't get, okay, I use an online documentation system. I am not able to document online for some of those patient sessions because they literally don't have internet. (laughs) I'm like, I don't have internet. Half the time my phone doesn't work. I mean, how are you? And then, okay, fun fact. If you don't lock your written documentation in a locked box, in a locked car, and your car got broken into... By golly, that actually counts as a HIPAA violation Mm -hmm. because it was not properly secured. Okay, so let all that sink in. And I know that there's people out there that listen. um, Sweet stuff. When she goes up to Conway, she can't have internet. There's no... That's like 20 minutes from Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And she has no internet access. So we have to handwrite all of the notes or at least do data collection on a piece of paper that's HIPAA compliant. Mm -hmm. And then later when you're home with your families and trying to juggle all that, then you have to time find time Mm -hmm. plus. Yeah. So, and it's okay because you know, some people think home health is a piece of cake. That's okay. Bless their hearts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. All right, let me let me flip screens. I can't even tell you how very very many um, screens that we have open to be able to pull these resources rapid fire. Okay. All right, so productivity in a clinic. 
versus in our early childhood education. Okay. So productivity in home, you will not be as direct patient. Your number statistically will not be as high if you were in a clinic or on home health all day versus if you were in a clinic back to back. Okay. Um, Case in point, Aaron, you and I have both covered larger geographical areas. It is physically impossible to do a makeup on one end of our area on the same, I mean, mm-hmm. to get to the other side of town, right? So if you have an opening and you had a patient cancel earlier in the week, that does not necessarily mean Maybe that you will fit, that it'll fit because you may spend two hours, 30 minutes in commute time for an hour minute hour of treats for another 30 minutes of commute time to get back to the other side of the city. Um, and I know that there's those of you out there that uh, travel onto military bases. And when well, you- It takes a long time. Yeah. You have to go through security to get in and off of the base or on and off of the base. And that can take time, especially if somebody's license plates are expired. <laughs> They're not That's expired. Cool. My sticker is <laughs> not the right sticker. <laughs> But it is my car. <laughs> That's okay. And it's Thank up to date. <laughs> Thank goodness Aaron is single and beautiful because like apparently that's all it takes to get in on and off of one of our local military bases. But I'm just saying, those are factors that are that is not written into our contracts in the home health world and that impact scheduling. our productivity. I will be the first to admit I am not the most organized person and having to, and I'm directionally challenged. So having to figure (laughs) out where a kid's going to fit in my caseload is difficult. Yeah. And when you have a kid that you just want to fit somewhere, but you're like, you know, I mean, I might have to drive. It's a struggle. And I sit there and try and fix my schedule, but that's a lot of time that I don't have well okay even putting them into the schedule takes takes away from your productivity Mm -hmm. okay so what y'all need to do is find you one of my jennifers because jennifer does that she acts as my referral coordinator so that's i i pay her to do that so she looks she triages the patients according to medical necessity. Mm-hmm. Those that are more medically complex, they get triaged. They go to the front of the wait list. If I have, I think I have like 10 or 15 on a wait list right now. If we get a referral directly from the NICU and the patient is more compromised, they go to the top of the wait list. I mean, I'm yeah. still going to take time to get them in there, but like that's more critical. Then she looks at where they fit them in the schedule. She magically plugs them in. And then that week, because I live my life on week-long increments, because I can't really plan far, much farther out than that in advance, I see the eval pop up and bless her heart, she's already gotten some of the information. Right. And it's already plugged in. Okay. That takes, that allows me to be more productive on my Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. That is a luxury. It is not lost on me that my stars are blessed to have her However, that would be another resource and solution to combat productivity issues Mm -hmm. is your front office staff, instead of sending a referral to you and saying, hey, here's a patient, when you may not have an opening, you don't know your geographic area because, I mean, there's a lot of us that move 
I mean, because our our spouses have brought us to a new state. Mm-hmm. We're a recent um, graduate. Um, I know one of our friends moved because from a different state because her parents moved here, so she moved to be near her family. And I mean, or you just don't really pay attention as much when you're going places, and when you're in grad school, you just drive to school and then drive back. <laughs> And then you I mean, there's that. Yes, to get everywhere. <laughs> I may call that a millennial thing, but like, but also, yeah. it's hard <laughs> as a CF to like say no because then you get in this battle of, yep. Hey, can you take this patient when you may have like discussed where <laughs> you have spaces, and they ask you to take this other kid that you may not have a space for, then you try and figure it out. And then down the road, they're like, well, why is your productivity not as good? And you're like, well, because I didn't really have, it's just this whole cycle. But if at the beginning you said, I really don't have a spot for them, then you're saving yourself stress. You're saving them stress. Like you, if you don't, but that's a hard thing to do at the beginning. I think yes. you want to take everyone. You want to say yes. You want to be the yes person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when like an EI asks you specifically, hey, can you take this kid? And you're like, uh, it makes you feel worse. Especially when the EIs use puppy dog eyes or they tell you how cute the kid is. Yeah. Or in my case, I'm a sucker for like, but Michelle, they're really sick and yeah. they smell good. And I'm like, it. <laughs> so that's something that I've learned is like when to say no, because there have been a lot of times where I've said yes. And then I've been like, oh. Well, I don't really actually have room for them or like, I only have a five o'clock and I really don't need a five o'clock right now when I have three, eight o'clocks open. So let's fill those spots instead. Yes. Hey, have y'all heard the news? SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting an 12-hour ASHA CEU cruise next July from July 10th to July 17th on the Royal Caribbean's Rhapsody of the Seas. And we are checking out Alaska. So be sure to register before September 30th, 2019, and you will receive a free six-month membership to SLP Now. And it is the lovely Marisha's SLP Now podcast and her website, Stockpiled Filled to the brim with amazing resources for SLPs that work in the public schools. So make sure that you register and get it in before September 30th. See y'all next July in Alaska. Another bit of recommendation for a solution to combat that productivity issue. Burnout. Let's own this. Yeah. Burnout. You, we are more likely, I am more likely to cancel a patient at the end of the day session because so many other things have been added to my plate during the day. And some of them, I'll I'll be honest, I am emotionally invested in the patients that I see. Mm -hmm. I have gone out, done a treatment or two, and I have a hard time. I may be the bagless therapist. Yes, I get it. I am the bagless therapist. However, I am not the emotional bagless therapist. Right. I am a empath. And what is it? The fish? I'm a Pisces. I'm a Pisces. So, and for better or worse, believe in the clean, dirty, hippie things that impacts me. So when I go out and I see a patient and I know I went out and did one eval, um, a couple of months ago and the patient had um, been suffocated and it was a non-accidental trauma and it 
it hurt my mother's heart so much that I actually had to cancel my two following patients because I was emotionally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And me seeing a patient at five o'clock, one, I can't do that because I got tiny humans, but I mean like four o'clock patients for me are even hard yeah. because I'm emotionally spent at the end of the day and that's going to impact my productivity. So if you know that that's your personality type, then um, one thing that I have learned to do is I front load my week. So my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, I am slammed. Mm -hmm. And then on Thursday, I see one patient and I dig out of the hole, but I do that as a emotional, psychological self-help. I need that day of recovery. And then Friday, I have a boatload of patients again. But for me, and that's taken me a long time to figure that out, that works better for me. Um, some families, um, and I say families, but some clinicians, I know they split custody of like, they have their children with their spouse, but they also like have their spouses, mm-hmm. other children, and they build their weekly schedule around their parenting loads. So like when they don't have all the kids at their house, they see a boatload more patients. And then when they do have the kids at their house, those days, their, um, patients, um, census is lower. Mm-hmm. because that's what they need. So um, solutions like that, uh, that may be easier to schedule and to build your schedule around it so that you have a more manageable workload to reach a more obtainable productivity quota. Is that good? That's mm-hmm. good. That's, yeah. That sounded smart. That, that sounded okay. Somebody out there is like, yes. If you have that. Luxury. Luxury. And then you don't. And sometimes you don't. And when that happens, I know some really amazing folks to help you open your own private practice. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Change topic. Okay. All right. So, um, and within a clinic, a lot of folks uh, that treat patients within a clinic, sometimes that's easier because you can just book them out and they come to you. So you're not driving. Um, and I get a lot of wear and tear on my car. My Porsche car is in the shop pretty yeah, frequently because of issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of our sweet friends, the EI, um, Bear's former early interventionist, kept running over um, chunks of metal, not screws, not nails, but chunks of metal from where they were redoing a bridge. And South Carolina roads are. Yep. We have a penny tax. Uh-huh. Um, and then within an early childhood special education setting, typically by the time you're working with the kiddo in an early childhood special education setting, you fall under LEA and then you're in the caseload versus workload productivity standards. Um, that being said, not all, uh, not all locations are built the same. Some places that are for lack of a better phrase, and I know it's antiquated that are an institution, where the kiddos go and it's like a residency and they stay um, overnight and they're there for the long term. Uh, I have gotten and received feedback that the caseloads are lower and the workloads are more manageable uh, because it's residential. They're there. They're there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, when you are... (laughs) 
bless you. Um, when you are attached to a school that has an incredibly high turnover rate, um, especially in areas where there's a lot of um, influx uh, due to uh, military bases nearby, mm -hmm. or I'm thinking um, we have um, just southwest of where I live, there's a lot of migrant workers that work the fields and they bring their children's and they follow the crop lines. Uh, those are variables where the census changes a lot. So your caseload versus workload is going to, that's going to vary. Yeah. Yeah. And ours, I feel like, um, and this is more speaking to like hospital, the SNF type of settings, mm -hmm. our caseload, I feel like very so much mm -hmm. because I mean, usually if someone's in the hospital, they can require some OT and PT just from being in the hospital, kind of getting them moving, getting them yep. oriented, things like that. But it's not always the case for us or if it's not always appropriate, you know, like when you're in a, a long term acute care or if you're in a sniff, like sometimes they've plateaued or. And that happens with with our medically fragile kids. Mm -hmm. That's um, really hard. When like I've had a few kids that, how do you say to a family that we've reached medical necessity, mm -hmm. or we've had a change in baseline, you need to put the baby on hold, and that sucks. Mm -hmm. That's a all the four letter words emotions, right? Yeah. And we're going there, so I think like. Our friend that works in a hospital, outpatient, like they have a policy that requires the pediatrician or the physician to um, sign off saying they're okay to return to therapy and they're going there. So you don't have as much of that connection. Like I feel like you can go to their home sometimes and they may not be fully ready, but since you're going there, it's like, okay, well, why not? Or also we may not know whether or not they're fully ready because we're going to their homes and that continuity of care from the physician. We may not have medical discharge summary from their most recent hospital to say, stay to say that they are cleared to resume mm -hmm. prior therapy. And then when you go in <clears throat> and you talk about how they're not appropriate, they may get a little upset. It's, I think mm -hmm. it's harder going into someone else's home and saying, okay, well this, I'm not, I'm not appropriate right now. This isn't, we're not either medically stable or mm -hmm. we have plateaued and we need to revisit. Um, I think that's very difficult. Okay. So then I'm going to add this layer on and I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there in the world. I have worked for companies where the owners were not speech pathologists. I've worked for a company whose owner was a speech pathologist, um, was not familiar with treating medically fragile kids. But I mean, I've worked for companies where the owners were PTs, where the owner was a former real estate agent. Mm -hmm. um, I know that there's um, a company over in Lexington, one town over, where the owners of the company are um, former insurance salesmen. And they love the productivity because they're at it from a a business mindset, which, okay, I get that. However, trying to ex explain change in baseline status and um, appropriateness for PO trials or for therapy in general, when they don't have a clinical mindset, 
And they're like, well, you can at least go in and play with the kid. I can't tell you how many times I heard that from a, you you can go in and just play with them. And I'm like, you misunderstand the nature of what it is that I do. I'm not there to quote unquote, play with the kid. I have to deliver a skilled service and educational play is important. However, I'm not a babysitter Mm -hmm. and, um, Right. That's not in my job description. I am there to do habilitation and or rehabilitation. Sometimes it's a have baby. Sometimes it's a baby that needs rehab. Sometimes my babies need both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, very frustrating. And I personally struggle with my communication at that point in time because when I get that level of frustration, I either, um, I'm, I am still working on how to hold that crucial conversation because I go hot or ice and I have to remember to that a honest open dialogue happens in the middle, but that, um, you can't see it. Mm -hmm. I'm like signing all of this people and like trying to make a ball with my hands of a ball of joy, which is where I should be. But like, (laughs) I'm still working on that at 36. I'm like, well, and it's, and I've had a lot of difficulty being a CF because I usually know what I want to do, but it's hard to just do it without support. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I try and approach it in a way that I'm asking, but I kind of <laughs> you phrase I the question to also lead it to a certain <laughs> conclusion. Uh-huh. Because I don't especially when you're new, you just want to know that you have someone that's gonna back you up when if and likely when there's some pushback from either the family or another provider or something else, sometimes I'll get that. I'll look for that support in a supervisor. Sometimes I'll look for that support in a physician. Sometimes I'll look for that support in another therapist. But I think I've, it's hard when you're new to be able, especially with those patients, because it's likely that someone else is going to have a completely different opinion than you or another therapist is going to come in and say, okay, well, I'll work with them on this. But I, I, and I don't know if it comes from like my strong emotions or kind of feeling very empathetic towards these patients. But like, if I feel a certain way, like I can't not do what I'm feeling. Like if my gut is telling me this isn't appropriate or I'm, my gut is saying that this needs, you know, we, I need to talk to this certain provider about something that's going on. Like I'm going to do it. I just would prefer someone support me. And yeah. And that's, and that's hard when you're a CF to ask for help because you don't want to look insecure or that you don't have the knowledge base because my goodness, I know you. All right, wait, I need to take two seconds just to build our sweet Aaron up. You're an excellent freaking clinician. And it has been awesome to see you grow over this last year as a former supervisor and as a friend. And now I'm crying, but like, that's been 
really, really cool to watch. And um, to watch you navigate those early stages of your career and to know when to lean in and to say, I know this is right and I know this is productivity, but I also know this is our code of ethics and then this is what we should be doing. That is... Y'all, that's really cool. So if you ever need somebody to build you up and you're a SLP to be or you're a CF, reach out to Erin because um, girl did good. Girl did good. Not that it's easier or harder in with any certain patient population, but when you have medically complex kids, you kind of got to go into it knowing your productivity is not going to be as good. And you can't, you have to, re- you have to and know you have that. to set that precedence from the get go mm-hmm. that this is. And that this I can't, is okay. You can't look at those kids in the same way. Like when I sit with where I work and we discuss, there's some kids where I only saw them twice this month. There may have been a month where I only saw them once. But if I show you, okay, well, this time they canceled, they had three doctor's appointments. Then um, their button fell out, which I'm, I don't know if it is. <laughs> Just me. Oh but like, my God. I've had so many buttons. Things happen in threes. And by buttons, we mean G2s. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, not their shirt button. They're not dramatic. But like, things happen. And things, Murphy's Law. That's it, right? Murphy's Law. Yeah. Things happen in threes. Like one month, I had three kids in the PICU. The next month, I had three kids with their buttons swap. The next month, I had three kids moving. Like, things just happen. And you have to know that. And you have to be able to explain that to your supervisor. And I know that it's frustrating because you're like, I have this one appointment time, but look at the lives that these families have. They see seven other, they see at least two other therapists once a week. They see probably multitude of physicians. They well visits, um, annual checkups, and social workers, special needs care nurse, it's home health nursing coming in, home health. And then there's their supervisors because home health nurses also have their quarterly checkups. And if everybody has their quarterly checkups, and then God help you if you're seeing a CODA or a PTA or an SLPA, and then every in the state of South Carolina, every seventh session then has to be completed by the supervisor or the supervisor on top of that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then this is cool to me. I run into the fact where the families bring in other family members for training and then they're there or when you add in ABA or and the list goes on. Yeah. And, yeah. And I struggle with it's almost like you explain this to people controlling productivity and then I've had instances where I've had a kid that was in the hospital for a few weeks <coughs> and we talk about how, okay, well, I haven't been able to see them. We're having issues with productivity, can't fill their spot, whatever. And I've said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? And I haven't really gotten a solution. Yes. Because do you, are you the person that pulls them and puts them on a wait list? Because I'm not doing that. But if, I mean, if, if this is what you want to do, then that's, I'm putting that on you because I'm okay being an hourly employee, not getting paid for that. I understand that. I'm aware. I will try and do a makeup with someone else, but that's likely the issue you have with these kids too, is that they can't do a makeup. They don't have to, that's, 
that's not doable. They have and the so nap many other times. therapies. Also, nap oh, time. Nap times. You walk into that daycare during a nap time. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. They, they need will- their naps. Also, <laughs> yes. You are, I've had so I've had so many instances where they've fallen asleep on me, which like, oh, bless their heart. Also, I love it when they do that. I love it when they fall asleep and they snuggle with you, but that is not a billable opportunity. A no show, which, you know, for at least where I am, a no show is less than 24 hours notice. I have to code it as a no show code, whatever. But like if the kid had 30 seizures this morning, I'm not going to see them. And I understand that. And it's just... Or if the kid's older sibling got picked up early from school because they vomited everywhere, whether or not it be the food poisoning that somebody says it is or whatever the variable is, or what if they actually have the flu, you can't go to that home because then you could pick up a virus or some contaminant and take it to another or, or if you walk in and they think they might have seen it. I was just going to go there. Not that that just happened to us, but it's and, cool. We're C. diff negative, just so you know. They say, well, no one here has gotten it. Well, my patient that I see next that's on antibiotics that has a deep, like. Uh, her sprung her, with a pull procedure completed. And so yeah. that's, I mean, we, we got it. That's a moment when you walk in and you're like, okay, well, we're not going to do therapy today. I just drove 30 minutes to see you, but this is not, we can't, I can't do that. Uh-huh. And that's, and. Yes, it's frustrating because that's money that I don't make and I'm, you know. You do have. You do have bills to pay. Apartment and life. I think that's something you have to think about with your caseload too. Like if you're prepared for that, I love working with medically complex kids. So I understand that like that's something I have to take a little bit of an L in sometimes with my paycheck. But. (laughs) Did you say Al? An L. (laughs) An L? What does that mean? Take an L. W versus L. Okay, I'm learning. I'm cool. We're good. She just learned TBH. To be honest. Oh, I was going to go throwback Thursday. That's TBT. TBT. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I mean, and we're just ranting and we're trying to get, let's... Trying okay, give some squirrel. We're, we're, we have squirreled of all squirrels, but... But be aware. Those... Be aware of your caseload because... That's going to vary and understand because if you're someone that is really is more concerned with not more concerned, you no one went into this job because we're like, let's make a bunch of money, but (laughs) we would have been neurosurgeons. But if, if you are someone that wants a more consistent paycheck, taking a lot of medically complex kids is probably not the decision. And that's probably not. And that's completely fine. That's, I mean, I, there have been moments where I've been like, okay, I really just want like a, a language kiddo. I really just need like a kiddo at a, at a daycare because I can do makeups. Like that's totally fine and understandable. Okay. So I see this on both sides before we get back on track to, let me just put this one in there. I had a kiddo that was in speech therapy. Bear did therapy. Bear was the daycare kiddo with bilateral conductive hearing loss. Bear was the piece of cake with the side of sass kid. Right. Right. He was the one that you wanted because he would be there. There was no excuse for me to no show the clinician. I mean, unless he was sick and we were actually in the hospital otherwise. Yeah, totally. So I get that as a mom and as a clinician. Now I have had colleagues who had a child that had a 
a lot more medical necessity and they were a speech pathologist when their kids were sick and they needed to drop everything and go. A no-show is completely understandable because yeah. level of, yeah. And again, I use the no-show not because like I show up and like they're not there, yeah, but like, which does, but um, in the sense of they've canceled within 24 hours right. because life. Um, okay. So how does productivity vary between states or even with various companies within a state? Okay. So number one, when you sign on, find out what the productivity standards are. Or if they have some, some don't. Or if they do. Um, I know one of the companies that I worked for um, did not have quote unquote productivity standards when I started. Uh, They were, you see as many patients as you want, when you want, those kind of things. And then after I'd been working there for a few months, it was, oh, well, Michelle, we have all these referrals and I really need you to see patients at five o'clock because you don't have kids and they're home from school. And I was like, wait, no. When I signed on, it was, this was not a, you have to see patients at five o'clock because you don't have kids. That's not okay. I had a life Mm -hmm. after work and I do like to spend evenings with my husband with Doug. I mean, well, it was before Chewbacca at the time, but now Chewy. Although Dog is curled up at her feet, just kind of like, I missed y'all. Poor Dog was at the kennel all last week, y'all. She came home, just a nervous Nelly. Bless it. Um, Squirrel. It's been a long day. But those productivities standards changed and it was nothing in a contract. Mm -hmm. So if you feel that that evolves, then you need to go back to your contract originally and say, okay, well, I didn't have a productivity standards originally. What has the company moved in a new direction? And again, and you don't, you don't have to, my cousin who is a lawyer would say, you don't have to sign the new contract out. You know, you can yeah. negotiate, you know, just you can be you aware can of what you're be aware of what and and I forget who I was talking to, but and this may be like turned into like a girl boss point. But like <laughs> I'm okay with girl we're boss a field points. of mostly women uh-huh. who historically don't always fight for lean in, read the book lean in. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Girl or, wash your face. Um, or uh what is it? Girl boss is girl boss a book? I don't know. Whatever. I think girl boss is a book. But um, I'll check on. Know that ask a lot of questions about like what is involved in productivity, um, and to the point of like your patients, a lot of them like a lot of them don't understand necessarily that like it's a book. If you don't show up, if they cancel on you last minute, like you don't get paid. A lot of them don't know that, and that's. Don't phrase it like that, obviously, but I've had instances where I've had patients that had pretty bad attendance and then I had a new plan of care come up and I said, listen, this is what our attendance has been. This is, and these were situations where there weren't always, they were really last minute, didn't always have an explanation, that kind of thing. Sit them down, talked about how, you know, this is what our policy is. This is kind of lean back on the policy, lean back on what your requirements are. And from then on, perfect attendance. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you do really just need to have the conversation with them and give them the opportunity. And then if they don't, but there are instances where you can just go back to, this is what I'm required. This is our company policy. This is where we're at. And just based off of facts, if you're having an issue with a specific patient or something like that, because that does happen. Um, and I have phrased it, um, 
when I do my intake documentation, I go through and I explain, this is my productivity. And normally by then, especially where we live, I'm, there's not that many other clinicians that treat the kiddos that I treat. Mm -hmm. And so normally those kiddos have sat on my wait list for an extended period of time. And so I just explain, this is it. Productivity is this. Well, not say productivity. I say, this is my attendance policy. Mm -hmm. And if this happens, then I have to discharge you because there are other kiddos that need my services. Right. And when I explain it like that, I know right out the gate, the ones that are on board and the ones are going to be like, eh, yeah. Eh, and that's, and if you work in a very rural area or an incredibly busy area, excuse me, ah, that third cup of coffee just wore off. Um, then you're, you have the ability to say that. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So productivity between states, um, a lot of that can be driven simply by the, um, uh, yeah. And the quantity of patients versus quantity of clinicians. So if you work in an area where you have a large amount of patients and very few clinicians, um, your productivity standards, I, I would anticipate they expect you to see a boatload of patients. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, your cancellation rates would be um, probably pretty quick to discharge to move on to the next patient. Yeah. Um, if you're in a very saturated area, then, and I mean, there's um, areas in our state where people cannot get into the early intervention system because there's so many therapists in the immediate area. I think down in um, uh, about 45 minutes south of me, um, there's so many clinicians in one area. They're not off opening up baby net contracts because there's just that many. I know um, in Virginia, you have to put in to be within the early intervention system and you have to put a contract in and they only take so many contracts a year. So that's, that's another variable. And then there's, okay. I don't know if y'all have heard of it. The California Hawaii Elks program. Um, also to the ladies that are in the California Hawaii Elks program, I am still in awe of your good spirits and your good nature and the good work that y'all do. They don't have any productivity standards. The entire thing is a nonprofit. The entire thing is 100% funded by the California Hawaii Elks. Y'all, these people can just go out and be there as long as they're needed, as long as they need to be there. And they cover, they do cover a very large um, area, um, but it's just amazing. There is literally no productivity. It's this is your patient help set them for success, mm-hmm. treat them as many times a week as you need to. I, I mean, it's an, uh, and, and they pay for their continuing education. Okay. So I just made a huge pitch. So if you're out in California or Hawaii or want to go somewhere, like really truthfully, I have never met such an amazing company. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever go to California, I will definitely personally call them. They're like, I really like them. Okay. All right. So I think we've um, hit our hour. I'm looking at the the clock here. Um, And we have put a boatload of resources and solutions throughout. Is there anything that we have not rattled off that you want to? So check out ASHA. Check out Mm -hmm. all the resources there. Um, Work with your state association. Work with um, set 
appropriate, measurable, quantifiable goals for productivity in the beginning. And if you haven't, then do it on your annual review or if you're a new hire on your 90-day review Mm -hmm. um, or at the conclusion of your CF. That would be another optimal time to turn around and say, all right, look, I just got my C's. This was my productivity up until now, but we need to regroup because I'm seeing these kind of patients. Mm -hmm. Which is hard to do if you're in like a a very large organization, then you're Mm -hmm. kind of stuck sometimes. I've seen in like an outpatient, like we talk about how it's difficult to see certain kids and it's difficult to get our productivity up. But I've seen like, especially in like a children's hospital outpatient, like sometimes the productivity is like 90% 90 in outpatient when you have no control of whether your patients show up. And that's I've and no possible way to follow up, like because mm-hmm. you're not the person following up with follow up mm-hmm. calls that falls on the front office, the front desk. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen people be causes a lot of stress. Yeah, but that's something that to be aware of. As far you know, like as bad as it sounds, you have to you want your values to align with the company that you're with as much as possible. That's not always possible, but. That's something to consider if, if productivity is the only thing that they're concerned about, is that someplace that you want to be? It's granted, it might not be their fault. It could be way higher ups, especially when you're in a big organization, but yeah, but that's, that's where it gets back to what do you want in the world? What, where does your inner passion and where does your inner compass rose align with your um, your professional setting. Mm -hmm. And that's what led me down the crazy rabbit trail that I went out on. So for those of you that need to hear that, heed Aaron's words, because if it's, if that doesn't align with what you're called to do, well, then change your stars. Who cares how old you are? Who cares where you've been? Mm -hmm. You're there now. That's some really good closing stuff right there. We're just going to – I say we end with that. (laughs) How we got there, I don't know. I don't know. Mic drop and we're out. I better not drop this mic. It's as big as my kitchen table and, like, I would – it would be expensive. (laughs) We should have ended 30 seconds ago. Now I sound like the awkward turtle that I am. Okay, cool. All right. Well, then hold tight. We're going to switch over to questions. Oh, wait. I forgot. Next week, next Friday, I am in on Friday, July 19th in the glorious Greenville, South Carolina. McCullough Therapeutic Solutions is hosting a six-hour pediatric dysphagia, ASHA CEU course. Um, I'm giving it. I'm going to jump into all things best practice. Um, all things not best practice, why I don't use Chewy Tubes, Z-Vibes, or, you know, electro-stimulation to my patient's necks, um, and value the importance of poop and chasing the swallow and figuring out, you know, why they're not pooping. Um, and we're covering that. So um, I'm excited. It's it's also Greenville, and it's really really pretty. Um, so that's wonderful. So visit www.mtskids.com backslash continuing hyphen education for more information and to visit. And I think the course is only like a hundred or $105 for six hour Mm -hmm. ASHA CEU and they're including lunch. 
So pretty good. Pretty good. So, all right, hold tight and we will switch to questions. Michelle Dawson, you're all things peds SLP here with another exciting update brought to you by feedingmatters.org. So if research on pediatric feeding stokes your fire, then join Feeding Matters virtually on August 29th for the inaugural Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance Research Town Hall. Haley Henriksen Estreen, PhD RN, will present strategic updates and initiatives igniting and driving research to advance the elevation and treatment of pediatric feeding disorders. Visit bit.ly backslash PFDA town halls to learn more. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies.